Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. Join us here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. There are a lot of famous people who come from Savannah, Georgia. Singer-songwriter Johnny Mercer, actor Stacy Keach, and famous people live there. But what do you know about artist Valentino Molina? Patricia Carson literally stumbled on one of his paintings, and that's when her journey began. A decade later, she has completed her book, Meeting Valentino Molina, Lifting the Veil on the Incredible Life of a Savannah Artist. Hi, Patricia. It's so nice to talk with you. (laughs) It's nice to talk with you, too. And you have written this book over 10 years. Oh, right. It was sort of diverting my mind from difficulties I was having at that time. So um, meeting Valentino Molina. Yes. Why did you decide to write about him? Well, I was living abroad. I came back. Um, (laughs) I married my childhood sweetheart at 57. Um, I had known him since I was seven. And we moved into his home. And when I got into the home, it's a very large old southern home, 200 years old. And um, I started in my own way renovating it because uh, it was 20 rooms. And his mother and he were, what should I say, hoarders. (laughs) So I started making it a little more comfortable for me. And I went into the attic to see what was up there. And while there, I reached up for something and this shade, I thought, fell on my head. And that was the first part of the book where I'm falling. I hit the floor. The only profanity in the book is when I hit the floor and I said, damn. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the warning, Patricia. Uh, Yeah. And so then I reached up to see if my head was okay. It was. And then I reached over for this old shade and I rolled, unrolled it. And to my amazement, there was this incredible painting of a nude young man looking into water, um, absolutely exquisite. In fact, I'm staring at it right now. And I thought, what on earth is this? So when my husband came home that night, I inquired as to why on earth was this gorgeous oil painting in the attic? And he kind of laughed and he said, well, his father was the attorney for Valentina Molina and um, he used to pay him with paintings. However, his mother Um, Mary Wallace Ravenel was a bit old-fashioned. She didn't approve of nudes, so she started burning them, (laughs) which resulted in his starting to hide them, which which started my my mystery trail because I thought, I've got to find more of these, and I did. So that was the genesis of my introduction to Valentina Molina. And then during my my, uh, trail of searching, I found two chapters that his father had started on the life of Valentina Molina. I highly respected his father and he me. And so I thought, I just felt like, you know, he would prefer that I finish this work because it should be finished. This is a very well-known artist all over the world, and yet people don't know of him outside of Savannah, and few people 
really understood how successful he was. He was a portraitist and he did portraits everywhere, especially in Georgia and South Carolina. And then when he was uh, in Canada, a great deal there. But at any rate, the point was that's how I got started on it. And then I was totally hooked. I could not <laughs> get away from it. So that was the answer, long answer to your question. <laughs> no, it's so interesting, though. I mean, it's fascinating when you find out these things that nobody else knows. I mean, what was the most surprising thing that you discovered? I guess the most surprising thing I discovered was his um, success in Europe. And he's in galleries in Spain and France and other places. But that was unknown in Savannah. Now, you know, everyone knows Johnny Mercer's from Savannah. But um, people all over the States, and especially in Canada and other places, have paintings from this artist. So I felt that was something I should get out there. So you didn't know, or you don't think many Americans know, how how successful his paintings were in Europe? Absolutely. They do not. What else do we find out? <laughs> A lot of things. He... Um, had great difficulty growing up in Savannah because he felt he was the wrong side of the track. Not only was he Italian and Spanish, and in Savannah, you have to be you know, Irish and English and have come before, <laughs> early on, his family came later. Right. And then on top of that, he had brothers, and he was unlike them. He couldn't figure out why, but it turned out later in life he understood he was bisexual, which impacted his life greatly. And I would say... Uh, more negatively than positively. And um, I felt very bad about that because I'm a musician and I know artistic people, many of them do have that difficulty to face in life. And they are very wonderful people, no different from anybody else. And so I thought, well, I had to explain that in the book as well. You know, they have difficulty because we have difficulty. We, you know what I mean? Sure. Especially back then. I mean, what, what year are we talking oh. about, right? Well, uh, he was born in 1879. Okay, like. So, you know, very difficult. Right. And also when he had three brothers that, that were so, you know, athletic and outgoing and the family thought he was a little different. And he was a little different. He was extremely talented and uh, he was, he just had a different mindset and different hormone set. <laughs> right. Exactly. So did you did you do a lot of research on him or is your book based on things you found out through? Oh, no. I did nine years of research, which took me so long because um, he my husband's grandmother had a friend in Canada at that time who was a wealthy widow. And this was back in, you know, that century. And uh, the friend was visiting and they went to see. Um, an art display of his where he displayed a painting of Cleopatra that was breathtaking and had great success and great controversy because she was nude and because she was painted in the basement of a cathedral. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, right. Savannah's very broad-minded. But anyway, um, he wasn't appreciated here. But these two ladies went to the exhibit and they were taken just stunned by his talent and they decided to mentor him. And so basically his grand, my husband's grandmother introduced him to the Canadian lady and she took him to Canada to study. And, and of course he did with, that was the first time he ever studied with any art teachers. And oh. the, they decided he was so talented to take him to Europe. 
where he blossomed, which he really did. And he studied in, um, of course, France and uh, all these other places. And he was very successful there. And then much to his shock, and all of this is in the book, much to his shock, one of the people um, noticed his name, came to his apartment and said, excuse me, I, I noticed her name is Val Valentina Molina. Are you, are you related to any um, Molinas in Spain? And he said, well, I don't know. They did um, some research and came back and said, uh, Mr. Mr. Valentino, I want to tell you, you are of royalty. <laughs> that was stunning to him. And he became Count Valentino Molina, which, of course, opened many other doors in Europe for him. So all of this, all of this, I mean, it was a fairy tale. <laughs> have you, Seriously. Have you seen, have you seen, I have an ad on YouTube. I'm a pianist and I had a very wonderful singer. I, I composed a piece, mm -hmm. of course, called Valentina Molina. Um, and I had um, Kurt Ullman, who is, he's known around the world, but not so much of the same. He sang at La Scala and so forth. He was my singer, but the words tell the beginning of the book. In fact, um, it's Valentina Molina, you fell into my life. Valentina Molina, you brought me joy and strife. Valentina Molina, um, you led me down the trail to learn of your life, which was a marvelous fairy tale. Soon you were hunting me in everything I did. You were in all of my dreams, no matter where I hid. So Valentina Molina, make this haunting cease. All that I want is some joy and love and peace. And then my friend, this marvelous baritone comes in with, yes, my dear, we must stop this game, but it's entirely up to you. All you uh, must do is restore my name and fame, and then the haunting will be through. <laughs> Oh, I think we should find that and play that right now. Okay, let's do it. I'm Valentino Molina. I fell into your life. Valentino Molina, I brought you joy. And strife. Valentino Molina, I led you down the trail to learn of my life, which was a wondrous fairy tale. So I think I know him. <laughs> well, thank you, darling. I know people are listening right now, and I guarantee nobody knows that you are in your 80s. <laughs> exactly. You do not sound like a woman in your 80s. You have it more together than I do. I mean, 
you are really something else. Well, I, in fact, it's surreal. I woke up that morning when I was 84 and I said, oh, my Lord, what am I going to do when I grow up? I haven't finished yet. <laughs> I love that. What a great message. Well, it's never over, right? Well, see, that's one of the messages I want to give by writing this. Uh, my mother had a mantra was never give up. Just keep on, keep on. And um, she was she was a feminist and didn't even know it. <laughs> but um, and I think this might be an inspiration to people. Well, two things. I think it might be an inspiration to older women, especially though that I, I'm not widowed. I'm happily married, and so forth. But to those who are lonely, because now I live in retirement home and I see many of them, and. They, they just don't know what to do themselves. And I'll say, well, write your memoir, write a book, write about one of your experiences. And a couple of them have picked up that message. But the main thing is we always have stories within us that are unique and we should at least do it for our families. Now, right now, my daughter has me writing my memoir, which <laughs> I'm more, more verbose than I thought I was because I have lived a very um, exciting life. And as you can see I have lived in numerous places and I sort of plunged in um, when people of my era didn't and um, when I went to Europe I had dollars in my pocket and I didn't speak German and my brother would say so I knew I could always fall back on my big bubble and I ended up in Germany and he met me and he took me to one of his girlfriends. He was quite <laughs> popular. And he said, well, you're going to stay with her in Wiesbaden and find a job. I said, okay. And so I go out the next day and I have a music degree. I went to general electric. And they said, well, how's your math? And, hmm, it's okay. Which is a lie because I skipped three grades in high school. I wanted to get out of Dodge. And so they brought me in and they said, well, uh, we would like you to be a data analyst. I said, okay, fine. I didn't know what a computer was, much less data analyst was. <laughs> right. So, wow. anyway, I went ahead. My brother sent me um, a colonel who tutored me before I had the test, and then I got the job, and that's where I met my daughter's father. <laughs> But you were a big band singer. You composed music for a TV show in Saudi Arabia. I mean, well, no, I just plunged. Now, I, I didn't just compose music. I wrote the script and I wrote the music for an international children's television show. But then the most exciting part of that was he asked me to be one of the stars. And I was. I was Answer the Goat. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when the royal family started inviting me to um, entertain at the children's parties and that sort of thing. Your your life story sounds amazing. I'm so glad your daughter's making you write it. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait till you get to get. Don't take ten years though. No, I can't don't take, take ten years. No, I can't take ten years. <laughs> Even though my mom died at ninety two, um, I feel like I'm you know fifty two. So no, I'll get this thing done. I have a wonderful daughter mom that's pushing me on it. So, uh, well, well, you you see how capable she is. Oh, she gave me my my instructions here on how to how yeah. to conduct this interview, and you know, it's like she's all over. <laughs> but you know what? I relate because I'm the same way with my mother. I have a pretty amazing mother myself, and you know, we just we're so proud of you. We're well, just so you, proud darling. of you. Well, that's a very you know? nice couple, but I appreciate that. <laughs> but you know, I wanted to ask you: Are do you live in Savannah still? Well, I live on an island right 
outside of Savannah. My husband has a 22-room home in Savannah, 200 years old, and the homeless have taken up a residence around it. And I tried to be too nice at first, and that came back to bite me. Um, So anyway, he um, is a very stubborn, sweet, darling man, but very stubborn, and he has he's always lived there. So um, he had a little problem. And I said, oh, I think Palace helped me. My blood pressure shot way up. And she said, Mom, you know, you really need to relax a little more. So we found this retirement home, which is lovely. So I paid ahead. And I said, oh, then we had to get Palace and her husband out of Nirvana, New Zealand, to come up here and take over our real estate business. They did. And everything was fine. They were moving to the house. And then my husband said, I don't want to go. And I said, well, darling, I'm going. (laughs) <laughs> thinking of course he would follow me well that was eight months ago he's still in the house <laughs> he comes out to visit and i go in town to visit it works very nicely well it there you go <laughs> but what i was wondering you know i would think that this this book would be very popular in savannah well, and that you would be popular in savannah and that somebody would write an article about you and talk about this wonderful book you well, wrote i suspect this will happen but um I haven't pushed it yet. Oh, no, I think you should. You think that's I it? definitely think. But this should be in a local bookstore in Savannah. Well, I understand it will be. This book. Because I think um, part of your bookstore outlet is one of Shaver's bookstore in Savannah, which is the most popular. And, of course, it will be in Barnes & Noble. So, yeah. Um, and already people have found okay. it on Amazon. But, in fact, they were out when someone i was going to buy some and give them to more people but um they were out of them so i hope they have more now because people were requesting them that's awesome oh patricia what a pleasure oh, talking I... to you oh thank you daddy well certainly what a pleasure you just made my day well, thank you. <laughs> it's never too it's never too late right no not at all in fact i started a children's story about a cat <laughs> okay and i have several other children's stories but i've also started another novel Excellent. And, uh, uh, we'll have to uh, between that and the um, I, I'm also composing uh, music, and so I've got to get some of those things out to publishers. All right. Well, I I look forward to talking to you again. And my husband and I keep saying we're going to go to Savannah. Oh, I enjoyed every minute of it. I look forward to meeting you, and also showing, helping to show you around Savannah. <laughs> okay. okay. Got a deal. Take Alrighty. care. And God bless. Bye bye. Up next, Will You Love Me Again by Sherry Keys, a follow-up to Sherry's first book, May I Love You, about a perfect couple whose love is tested beyond anything they ever thought imaginable. How you doing, Sherry? I'm fabulous, and you? I'm living the dream. Right here, <laughs> right here in New Jersey on a lovely, lovely, dreary, dreary day. Where are you? I'm in Texas, girl. Oh, this is a follow-up to your first book, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Was this your first stab at writing, or or have you always been a writer? (laughs) I've written my whole life, but I've never tried to publish anything. It's been mostly short stories and poems. So why now? Well, I was a math teacher for 22 years, and I retired, and COVID was out, so I couldn't go anywhere or do anything. And I had had a story in my head since sixth grade. And I decided to sit down and finally get it out of my head. But what came out was not that story. <laughs> um, what came out was the, the first of the two, May I Love You. Um, in attempting to create those characters, 
they just took a different direction. And I know that I've heard authors say that um, the story wrote itself, but that is, that is what happened. I wrote over 400 pages in something like 44 days. That is just mind boggling to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like you become possessed. It was. It, it was like I would stumble out of bed and walk to the computer and my fingers started moving. And like, seriously, I type over 130 words a minute and I was typing as fast as I could. And it was just coming out kind of like a zit. <laughs> a zit? Yeah. Or, a, or a, a cyst or something that popped. It just came out. <laughs> So. Like a volcano. Yeah. <laughs> and so the second story then, I loved those characters so much from the first that I couldn't I couldn't stop thinking about them. And so I once again just sat down and started writing. And it took a lo little longer only because I had the first book in the process of being published. And I had a second book that I had assembled and turned in and it was in the process also. Okay, so a lot going on there. Yes. <laughs> what was the story based on any kind of experience you ever had? Um yes, in that I had traveled and and eat like I had the characters go to a lot of places I had been or eaten at restaurants I had been um that kind of thing. Why don't you give me some background on the first book so we can kind of lead into the second book. Would you say you have to read the first book to to understand what's going on in the second book? It would enrich it, of course, but no. Um, I give a short, like, three-page uh, catch the reader up on the second one in case they didn't read the first one. Okay. But it, I have... Um, I have this love for kilts and men who wear them. <laughs> men in kilts. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm like, I'm speechless. I'm rendered speechless when I see a man in a kilt. But anyway, so I had this man from Scotland uh, who had, he was single and he, he was a helicopter pilot and he had lots of money. And he decided he would come to the U.S. and take an extended vacation. So he rented a Harley and he was driving around all across America on his Harley wearing his kilt. <laughs> and he took a rock. No. Yes. And he, he wore a kilt on a Harley and nothing underneath? Oh, no, no, absolutely not. Nothing. Oh, my. <laughs> so then he... Um, took a not he didn't take a wrong turn he just went down a road that he thought was going somewhere else and he ended up in this small town in New Mexico and he realized he was hungry and there was a little diner so he stopped in and there sat the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen in his life and she was the only one there except these two cowboys shooting pool and um he walked over to her and they got started talking and and it just, it happened very quickly. They were married inside of three weeks. And um, oh, she's half Apache, half Comanche. So I, it's just like a love story. I don't so much like to call it a romance novel. It's just a love story. And um, they're very deeply 
committed and trusting and they understand that communication is really important. So they have a really good life together. When it, when you ended the first book, did you end it with the intent that you would write a second book or did that come later? (laughs) No, it, it just like I finished it on December 30th. And by January 2nd or 3rd, I was like, man, I want to write some more about Sean and Jenny. So I just started writing. (laughs) So what happens to these guys? Well, you know, you have to have a conflict and a resolution. I I know that. So in in the first one, they did. I don't I don't know that I want to give it away, (laughs) but um, they they made it. They had to overcome a conflict in the first book. Yes. And um, they got through it with this, you know, communication and just deep commitment to one another. And so in the second one, they're rocking along and they're actually give advice to one of Sean's friends who does has not had a good history in the love department. And they act as a matchmaker for him. And um, he meets a girl and they have a conflict then later in the second one as well. And it's a good bit larger than the first one and they really have to work hard at it. And so I feel like I was prompted actually to write the second one. And I just didn't have any, any notion of where I was going with them. And I just felt like though I wanted to show people how a couple can get through life's trials if you have that communication and respect for one another and that commitment. What kind of a conflict are we talking about? Um, a man that enters on the scene and um, oh. quite... So infidelity. Yeah, but not in the normal sense. I mean, she did not seek okay. it out and she did not want it. And I mean, it was, it was nearly a rape, but not quite. And, and then rough treatment and some mind control and, um, and, and Sean senses it, of course, because you, you generally know when something's going on and he gets pretty hot about it and has to work through it. And, but ultimately they just come together and they, they talk it out. <laughs> that is a, a a stretch for some people because that is what destroys so many marriages, right. right? They step out and, you know, can't seem to get to the core of why it happened in the first place. And that's a lot to explore, you know, yes. in a book. Yes. And yeah. I, 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 myself, my uh, uh, person to whom I was married uh, was repeatedly unfaithful. And at some point, you just you just have to cut sail. And um, but I knew that they were they had had I had created them into such a wonderful relationship. And Sean says, you know, I don't want to have visitation with my daughter. I don't want to give up everything I've worked for and start over. And I love you. And except for this one thing, you know, you've been perfect. And so he he realizes the positives outweigh the negatives and um they just he has to work through those images in his mind so right 
How, how, how do you talk about your book? Do, do people know about the first book? Um, have you been able to build an audience? Um, marketing is a, I'm a math teacher and apparently I write and there's, I train animals and I paint and I do play the piano and the banjo and I do all these things, but I am not a marketer, <laughs> but I had fun doing it. <laughs> well, that's big. That's big. And I, you know, I talk to plenty of people who they just do it because they love doing it. I mean, I talk about it all the time because when you're in the midst of that, it is what you are. And um, so everybody I know knows of it. And it's just, you know, there's a lot of books out there and not everybody is into love stories that's true but do, do you is there anything in your town like a library where you could go and do an author talk and talk about the process about being a writer i'm in a pretty small town but i frequently go to a larger town um i could that's a good idea i might try to contact that library and see what they could offer or I could offer them or something. Yeah. And another thing that somebody told me about, cause I only find these things out through people that I interview is, um, book clubs. Every church has a book club. You know, people get together, you know, they're retired. Okay. Maybe they're in a church or some kind of a club or whatever. And they get together, mm -hmm. they read books and they talk about them. And infidelity is very popular, right? <laughs> I mean, really, who hasn't experienced some form of something, you know, not necessarily there are, you know, so many ways you can step out. You can step right. out without even having sex with another person, right? You know, I mean, right. there's so many ways that you can leave your relationship. Like, that's something, that's a, that's a topic that's older than, you know, time. <laughs> yeah. So you had mentioned writing from experiences you've had. Yes, <laughs> I definitely had some background for that. So. For the infidelity. Mm -hmm. But your couple finds a way to get through it. Yes. Which is interesting. Yes, because I know that that's not always the case. <laughs> right. So they had to fall back on and concentrate on the good parts. Right. Do you believe it's possible? Yes. Um, I think that commitment and they trusted each other fully and he still trusts her even after it's over because he realizes that she didn't seek it out and um, that there, there was that kind of, cause he made her after he got back from driving around for a while, he made her tell him the whole story and he realized that it, it just, it was not anything she caused to happen. Right. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank it. you for calling. I appreciate uh, it. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. We hope to see you back here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.